0: It was a play that I've seen in the past here in Texas and that uh, they were solidifying a seat at the table if if legislation ever passed. Late last year, the
1: NBA approved the sale of a majority stake in the Dallas Mavericks to the Sands Corporation, which operates the Las
0: Vegas Sands Casino. I saw it no more than that, no more than when Penn Gaming purchased Sam Houston and Rotama, or the Chickasaws purchased Lone Star. It was, uh, you know, folks moving around the table to to get in some golden ticket line that there's already a significant people in that line uh, that have a lot of influence in this state. So this is just simply one other group getting in that line.
1: That line that consultant and lobbyist Robert Kohler is talking about is the line to be among the first in Texas to open a casino, if gambling is ever legalized here. I'm Chris Blake, and Texas wants to know, What does the sale of the Mavericks mean for the future of gambling in Texas? Mavericks owner Mark Cuban and the Sands Corporation announced an agreement in late November that would give the casino operator a 69% stake in the team, with Cuban retaining 27% and control of basketball operations. The NBA Board of Governors unanimously approved the sale just before the new year. It was valued between 3.8 and $3.9 billion, according to the Dallas Morning News. What was your initial reaction when you heard the news that Sands Corporation was purchasing the majority stake in the team?
2: Well, you know, two reactions really. One of them is a reaction that credits Mark Cuban with being far-sighted, and the other one is not.
1: That's Cal Gilson. He's a political science professor at SMU.
2: The one that credits Mark Cuban with being farsighted uh, is that he had hoped to see casino gambling in the last couple legislative sessions. It had come close, particularly in the House. We're not sure about the Senate. He may well know that Dan Patrick is going to hold out for a while and sold a majority share in the Mavericks to the Sands Corporation, on the assumption that uh, that their investment may might take a while to bear fruit, but when it when it did, he would still own thirty percent or whatever the, the number uh, is. And the other one is not as far-sighted uh, as he may be. Is that you know the day of the Lord is coming. The Sands people think they can bring it because the Sands families would not have bought the Mavericks unless they thought that casino gambling was coming in a future that they could see and enjoy. Jilson noted that Sands owner
1: Miriam Adelson is 78 years
2: old. So I assume that she's got to see this happen within a time frame that's comfortable for
1: her. Cuban has stated in the past, even before the sale of a majority stake in his team, that he wants to build a new arena for the Mavericks as part of a resort and casino. Dallas Morning News architecture critic Mark Lamster wrote a piece in late January with the headline, Where will a new Mavs arena and casino go, and what will it mean for Dallas?
3: Well, obviously you start thinking about where the team is going to move and what the implications of a resort casino, as he's described it, a destination resort casino, might be for the city.
1: Lamster is also a fellow at the Harvard Graduate School of Design.
3: And I personally found it a little concerning because... As I outlined in my story, I think there's a lot of uh, issues urbanistically with building giant casinos uh, in cities, and and also think it would be, you know for a whole bunch of reasons, uh, less than ideal to abandon the AAC.
1: Let's just play along with the idea for a minute here. So say they were to strike a deal on a resort casino arena in Dallas or somewhere in the Metroplex. How would that work because when i think resort i think quite a bit of land
3: yeah well i think it is quite a bit of land that they would need and part of the problem is these resorts tend to i think be very automotively driven so people come and drive to the resort they stay at the hotel they gamble at the casinos and then they go to a show or in the case of a, you know basketball game a basketball game There's generally, I can't think of too many of these that are connected to public transit. Um, And so you're changing the entire dynamic of who comes to a game at that point.
1: Are there any locations in Dallas or surrounding suburbs where something like this could theoretically work?
3: Theoretically, you could do it in the site of the old reunion arena, theoretically, with the proposed redevelopment of the Dallas Convention Center, the K. Bailey Hutchinson Convention Center, those areas might leave enough space to have that kind of development. Whether that would be appealing to the Sands Corporation that now owns the majority stake in the maps is another question because in those cases, they might not be able to control the land. So if some you, know, you could put a facility or casino resort hotel on one of these places, but I don't know that they would be able to control the land. So to what extent that shapes the way they think about things, I don't know.
1: I think of Las Vegas. I think of New Orleans that have downtown casinos. Are there any other cities where that is part of the downtown infrastructure?
3: Well, yes and no. There are cities that have casino developments in them. Detroit, for example. Other cities are building, and built these casino resorts the problem with them is that they're generally disassociated from the cities themselves the idea of a resort casino you know, it's a kind of an anti-urban typology because the entire premise of one of these places is they get you to come in and spend all your money at their own facilities, to spend money at the tables. If there's entertainment venue, to go to that entertainment venue, to stay in the hotel that's part of the complex, to eat at the restaurant that's part of the complex, to go to the club that's part of the complex. So they have no interest in engaging with the city around them because their entire modus operandi is to get you in and not let you out. To that extent, I think it's kind of a disturbing potential kind of space to develop in the city. While
1: the Morning News reports that Sands has also bought a 12-acre site in Dallas's design district and a 108-acre plot near the old Texas Stadium site in Irving, it isn't the only casino operator trying to get in line, as Kohler put it, in the state of Texas. Choctaw Casinos & Resorts has its name on the former home of the Texas Rangers, now Choctaw Stadium, and the Chickasaw Nation has owned Lone Star Park at Grand Prairie since 2011. Both operate casinos just north of the Red River in Oklahoma. As for other NBA connections, Tillman Fertitta, the owner of Golden Nugget Hotel and Casinos, is the owner of the Houston Rockets. A spokesperson for the Political Action Committee representing the Sands' interests in Texas declined to be interviewed for this episode. So did a representative from the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma. The Chickasaw Nation did not return a request for comment. What can we read into all this with all these casino operators trying to get a footprint in Texas?
3: What we can read into it is that the gaming or gambling business is unbelievably lucrative. You have a very large growing population in Texas. North Texas and in Texas generally, and there's enormous incentive for these uh, interests to buy land and to lobby the state to legalize, you know, gambling in the state. Uh, and I think there's going to just be increasing pressure from these interests uh, in North Texas down. And in other parts of Texas and Houston as well, we're talking about the Mavericks, but the Rockets are also owned by Tillman Fertitta, who has Las Vegas interests. And so he's not going to be shy about pushing those uh, for that area, I'm sure.
1: Let's check back in with Robert Kohler. He's the consultant and lobbyist for the Christian Life Commission of the Baptist Convention of
0: Texas. Tillman Fertitta has been a mainstay in casino gambling throughout the country and you know, him owning the rockets, I would tell you that, you know, when the legislation starts and the lights come on, you know, that, that, that position that he held didn't move the needle. And likewise, you know, this one, uh, with the stance of the Mavericks, you know, I don't believe moves the needle where the needle actually needs to be measured, which is, you know, April or May every other year and, uh, during legislative session.
2: Gambling has been before the Texas legislature uh, for more than a decade. It has many forms from mobile gambling to actual physical casinos that would uh, bulk large downtown. And depending upon who you listen to, there there are lots of issues that concern people. One of them is just that the good citizens of Texas could be uh, led astray into sin and evil by the presence of gambling in Texas, and and uh, and we certainly don't want that. You know, it's harder maybe to make people drive up to Oklahoma before they uh, sin. But the, the other thing is that this is a very big issue of, of finance and of corporate business, and there's a tremendous amount of money at stake. And so if you can make interested parties... Pay once, that's great. If you can make them pay six times, that's better. And so this has gone on for a long time and casino, uh, people who favor gambling in, in various forms spent millions of dollars in 2021 and 2023 on campaign contributions and millions more on lobbyists. And in 2023, they came up three, sh- three votes short in the house.
0: 12 years ago in the Texas legislature, you could not get a gambling bill through the Texas House of Representatives. You could get one through the Senate, but you could not get one through the House. So that, that was the fly in the ointment of folks that were trying to push bills back then. That changed about 12 years ago, where now you can get a bill through the House,
2: but the House isn't really the point. The decision will be made in the Senate by uh, Lieutenant Governor uh, Patrick, and he'll make the sign of the cross over gambling or or not. And the Senate will largely uh, follow his direction. He claims that it's the moral questions that are before him, but he took three million dollars uh, right before the impeachment trial started and i think abbott just took a six million dollar contribution from people who are interested in vouchers so that gives you the 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 playing area we're talking millions of dollars and it will be forthcoming at some point why is the
1: senate the hurdle in this case
2: well because the house is 150 members and they elect their speaker who's just a guy from Southeast Texas, right?
1: The Speaker of the House is Dade Phelan, a Republican from Beaumont.
2: And so the the House is more open and, and people feel that they can follow their district, they can follow their own convictions, they can vote the way they want. The Senate is totally managed. It is the Lieutenant Governor elected statewide in contact directly with major financiers of conservatism in the Republican Party in Texas, Patrick has fastened his grip on the Senate over the course of the last four or five legislative sessions. And he runs the place in a way that Phelan simply does not run the House. And so Phelan can oversee the debates and they turn out the way they turn out. He can try to move it one way or the other, but he doesn't control it in the way Patrick controls the debate over gambling in the Senate.
1: We talked about the holdings that casino operators have around Texas. Are they laying the groundwork for the day they hope it gets legalized here?
2: Yeah, absolutely. They know that that day is coming, but they know they're being fleeced in the the meantime. And that's just part of the game. They know that. And they're willing to pay because, you know, in, in politics, oftentimes an interest group will pay small millions of dollars to get in position to earn tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars and more. And so, you know, it's, it's an investment of 1% or less of your future profits. Anyone would take that bet and they take it several times over the years before they actually get their, uh, their bills passed. And they may not get the bills they eventually want passed done in that first session. You might actually get. Mobile gambling before you get casino gambling. It's unlikely that the political authorities in Texas are going to take this golden goose and give it everything it wants in a single session. They're going to, I think, string it out over a few sessions. And then they're going to claim that they have seen that Texans can withstand this moral uh, calamity of gambling and that you can really trust Texans to use their good judgment on these issues. And then you'll give them casino gambling. The state hasn't even legalized sports betting
1: yet. And that usually comes before any sort of casino legalization in a lot of states. So are some of these ownership groups getting a little bit of ahead of the game if there's still other steps that would theoretically need to be completed before table games are allowed?
0: Well, look, I've heard that narrative that you just, you just repeated that somehow or another, there's some type of line that, that's followed in states. And that's really not the case. Uh, if you look at states across, uh, across the country, whenever the action was taken by the Supreme Court, I can't think of one of those states that didn't, didn't already have class three or, or casino gambling in the state. The proponents of sports wagering, I think would certainly like that characterization of somehow or another, they're supposed to, that's supposed to happen first and then resort casinos. But when you really take a look at sports wagering, you know, you're enabling hundreds of millions of these things and you're taking them in the bedroom and on the couches. And so this any type of narrative that, that that's a lesser attempt to expand, you know, casino style gambling, I think is just false. Do you think we
1: just think of it that way? Because that's what we hear talked about first?
0: Well, yeah, I mean it's a narrative that that certainly uh, folks like the Dallas Cowboys that have been you know pushing it. That's certainly what they'd like for you to think. But Chris, because of recent actions by the Bureau of Indian Affairs that really consummates, if a state like Texas, which is one of the few that that is as far as federal government is concerned, has a level of gambling that's considered class two, if the state approves any class three games, which that would include sports wagering. That opens the door for not only in-state tribes, but as well as out-of-state tribes that can show historic presence in the state to do any form of class three gaming, which that includes casinos, that includes online gaming. Why
1: is the Baptist General Convention of Texas opposed to legalized gambling in the
0: state? Well, one, at the end of the day, what we've seen is that in, in states, when you bring this type of gambling, this activity close to the population base, you enable a whole group of folks that aren't currently enabled. And, you know, the industry itself admits three to 5% of the people that do this can't handle it. We say the numbers may be higher than that because a lot of the things that, that occur, you don't read about. So in other words, when, when dads are getting together at the hunting trip, you know, they're not going to talk about their freshman kid at, at a Tulane who sold his mother's credit card and ran up $10,000 worth of debt. You go through states like Louisiana, where every exit off the interstate, you know, behind the gas pumps uh, is a shady casino. Texas don't want that. Folks that I don't want that. And unfortunately, because of uh, federal gaming laws, that's exactly what we'll have in this state.
1: So what would you say to those who say that, you know, unregulated gambling is already happening in the state?
0: Well, no doubt. I mean, you have people everywhere that can't follow the rules. But uh, the idea that you're going to legalize something and expect those same characters that already don't follow the rules, that start following the rules, uh, we haven't seen it happen. And in fact, if you look, there's a story in California about California today that the six, six men they found shot in the desert all of it involves their legalization of mar- marijuana and how the promise that it would, by legalizing it, would ta- would clamp down on the illegal market, the legal markets grown exponentially since it was legalized.
1: That story Kohler referenced happened just last month in the Mojave Desert. According to the Associated Press, six bodies were found January 23rd. And just six days later, the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Office said illegal marijuana was the quote, driving force behind the murders. Recreational cannabis is legal for those in California 21 and older.
0: It's an argument that on its way sounds good. It's an argument that's been used for the twenty plus years, really the thirty plus years I've been involved in this question. Ten of them I was on the other side of this issue working for the Texas Lottery. and the last twenty plus, I've been on this side. And you've always heard that, you know, kind of shallow into the full argument I tell you. I characterize it. We've talked about where a theoretical Mavericks
1: Arena casino resort might go in Dallas or its suburbs but if the legislature legalizes gambling, you can bet that wouldn't be the only one to sprout up. After the break, we'll explore where casinos could be built in Texas. The owner of the Houston Rockets owns Golden Nugget Casinos. Mark Cuban just sold a majority stake in the Dallas Mavericks to the Sands Corporation. But if the Texas legislature were to legalize casino gambling, there would surely be casinos sprouting up that are not connected to basketball maybe we take the basketball part out of it. I'm just kind of curious, casinos as standalone entities, if they were to be legalized in Texas, where could you see some of these being built and what would they look like? Would it be, you know, like kind of along the coast or would they be closer to the urban areas and the suburbs?
3: I think they'd be mostly in suburbs adjacent to large cities. They need a great deal of land, and they want to have lots of parking, obviously, because that's how they're drawing people. If they can be near airports, that's also handy. North Texas is a very handy area because it's got a huge population and it's got a big airport. I mean, I do think that the overwhelming majority uh, of people coming to these places will be Texans or, or people from the, the southwest uh, or region. But yeah, so I mean, that, that would make sense that these are the areas where these things will, will end up. I'm not that I'm an expert in gambling infrastructure.
1: Kohler says it would be dangerous to put something that could be addictive to some people in a place that's easily accessible. According to the National Institutes of Health, about one percent of the U.S. population has a gambling addiction.
0: And you got to back up and, and and recognize, Chris, the folks that propose this type of activity say, you know, what's the big deal? You're using it's entertainment. You're using discretionary income, and there's not a lot of discretionary income with a significant amount of Texans in the state. There are folks that are figuring out each month whether to pay their electric bill this month or their gas bill. And so the whole premise that somehow or another, there's a large amount of, you know, this type of cash that's sitting around doing nothing. It's false luring them that somehow or another that, that after this bad week that on Tuesday, they can come make it up and it's just a five minute drive or it's a two minute drive. You will enable a group of folks that currently aren't enabled. I mean, I absolutely love Round Rock Donuts. I don't know whether you've been around this area, but they're the best tasting donuts. Uh, I didn't have one this morning. I'd have to drive 40 miles up. If it was right around the corner, Chris, I'd already had five. And it's the same premise.
1: But Gilson says he thinks there will be a stronger push in 2025, the legislature's next session, than there was in twenty three.
2: I think there'll be movement. It's really just a question of timing and, and how much happens uh, when the movement begins. But I know that in the 2021 legislative session, there were five, six, $7 million in campaign contributions. They went to uh, the leading figures in the state, Abbott, Patrick, and, and others. They spent a little bit less on campaign contributions and lobbyists in 2023. And if I were them, I'd draw the lesson that you need to spend more, not less, if you're gonna get your way.
1: I'm Chris Blake, of News Radio 1080 KRLD in Dallas, Fort Worth. Thanks for joining me for Texas Wants to Know. If you like the show, please give us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I wrote, edited, and produced this episode with editorial support from Cooper Mall and original music by Michael Eisenstein. Odyssey's managing producer for national news podcasts is Myron Kaplan.